Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of March 26, 2023. Get excited for more information about my new company as I spin out that's going to be coming soon. I'm going to be doing some really interesting things. If I have like if I have contracts with vendors excluding the, the payment amounts and terms and that stuff, those full contracts will be public so people can see where my bread is buttered. You know, most of what I'm going to be working with is practitioners. The biggies are around just connecting you all to each other roundtables, and direct introductions. The best way to learn is to have an open and honest conversation. Unfortunately, behind closed doors, like this podcast is about having those kind of more in the open so more people have access to them. But what I'm finding is, you know, people can't be fully honest in a lot of ways. But what I'm also finding is the best way to exchange information is to be able to share those experiences with someone going through something similar just comes up time and again. So I'm going to be offering, you know, affordable month to month billing on that stuff. Read that as throw it on your credit card and it's incredibly easy to cancel and all that fun stuff. So I think it'll be something that will be exciting for a lot of practitioners and it will come in and not break people's budgets. So what's on tap for this week? Episode 208, making prioritization a priority and focusing on delivering value. This is an interview with uh, Srinivas Palurai. And so we had, he had previously led the, the implementation at Zillow. And so we had some really good reflections on what Srinivas and team got right and kind of what they got wrong and what he'd tell himself to prevent the pain he had in eventually getting to better for the things that, that didn't go so right at first. And so, you know, prioritization, as stated in the, the name of the episode, really played an important part getting prioritization to be a first-class citizen and making sure it's really strongly owned and communicated is important. So there's a lot of kind of good reflection back on that. And episode 209 is a panel uh, on business intelligence place in Data Mesh, and that's with Amara Gafur, LF Tutuk, and Ryan Dolly. So this is just such a fun and friendly panel. I'm starting kind of a new approach to panels since handing over the community. So we're going to have tens of panels this year. It's going to be probably more than 20 total panels. The first was the privacy panel, and we've got ones that have already been recorded on creating your, your data platform, leading uh, a data mesh journey, on creating your data mesh roadmap. I'm working on multiple other ones that are coming. You know, I've got probably like 15 or so in process right now. So lots of really important topics. But with that said, this specific panel, it was just a blast to put together and listen to. They really played off each other really well and give you a lot of good insight into where does business intelligence play in a data mesh implementation? Is it 
part of the a central team? Is there a central BI team? Should there be BI embedded into the domains? The answer is probably both for a lot of organizations. Just some really interesting things about how to approach this and how to measure if you're doing kind of the right things. I think you will find it delightful and insightful. So with that, on to the extended summaries for both the interview and the panel. Extended summary for episode 208, making prioritization a priority and focusing on delivering value. Interview with Srinivas Paluri. So in this episode, I interviewed Srinivas, who's the CTO at RentBase. But previously, he was part of a data mesh implementation as the senior director of data engineering at Zillow. So Srinivas started by saying how important architecture is, yes, but how it's too hard to get everything right up front, whether you're doing data mesh or not. Instead, set yourself up to be able to change your architecture as you learn more. Fail fast is crucial. You need to be able to get moving sooner rather than later. Otherwise, there is too much risk in building something that doesn't fit needs or even more likely never building anything because you're always waiting for the perfect technologies to show up. To do engineering, especially data engineering well, Srinivas believes engineering needs to be part of the decision-making process. If not even providing input, at least then being aware of strategic shifts and working with key stakeholders to shift systems to better align to new changes. You can't change your business model and not expect it to not require a shift in what data you need and how you work with it, right? And you could have started collecting data sooner for the business model shift if you had done this. So really think about, and if you're on the data side, it's hard to say you have to have us as part of these conversations, but it should be, right? Like you should be part of these conversations so that you know what is is going to be happening. As you know, data mesh aficionados know, centralized data engineering can create bottlenecks and almost certainly will at scale. Srinivas recommends you show people the impact of those bottlenecks through specific examples. If you want to get like people bought in, you can use that to drive that, that buy-in for decentralized domain-based data ownership. It can be hard to quantify the exact impact of uh, you know, this bottleneck, but it's important to try to at least communicate the outcome of those bottlenecks. How did it impact day-to-day business operations and capabilities, right? How is this limiting us from where we want to go as a company, as an organization. When trying to push data ownership to domains, it's crucial to make sure you give them the support to actually own the data, according to Srinivas. That's technology and that's capabilities and understanding. If you are saying data ownership has value and you can show the value, then the organization should support that value. It's it's not free, right? It's not free. These teams have to have that time to understand and you have to provide them with the, the technology capabilities to do this. But if it's a value, isn't it worth investing in? 
Srinivas believes you should focus on making gradual changes rather than sudden shifts in a data mesh or any other large-scale data implementation. There needs to be commitment to making change to do it right. And as part of that, look to create and foster close collaboration with users. You need teams to be blunt and honest to help you get to where you need to be when you're building out that platform and those processes. You need that to get to a valuable outcome. That feedback will help you like really figure out how to do this well on both the processes and the platform side. If Srinivas could give three pieces of, of advice to his former self about data mesh, the first one was on ambiguity. Ambiguity, it can be helpful rather than kind of the binary right or wrong type thinking. So get comfortable with ambiguity. The world is rarely black and white. But ambiguity should more be about the ways of achieving or the ex expected end result exactly where we're going with this. You should really look to not have ambiguous responsibilities. Define those as clearly as possible because ambiguous ownership is really where you're going to have a lot of challenges. Number two, get product management involved earlier in your data mesh journey. They should be there from the start. Understanding product ownership is so crucial to getting data mesh right. You need people who are focused on prioritization and focusing on the things that are valuable to the business. If it doesn't have a clear value, should you be doing it? And then, you know, when you establish that value, communicate it. That is all part of what product management does. And then the third piece of advice is look to create a data mesh domain enablement function a team that is specific to helping additional domains figure out how to do data mesh, right? It's not easy and you will find great advocates that, you know, in the first domain, in the first couple of domains, or, or as you go along, you'll find these great advocates that can really help other teams get moving quickly. A team of five to six people would probably be a good enough size in Trina's process view. So personal note here, Scott note, Listen to episode 48 with Scott Hawkins at ITV for a great example of how they're doing this internal consultant team in a box type of approach. Another thing Srinivas learned looking back on his time at Zillow is to focus on communicating to people what does data mesh change for the organization and especially for them individually. There is a vague sense of data mesh changing the way we work, but what is the actual value we expect to drive? Not a specific dollar amount, but what's the vision of the organization of once you reach a relatively data-informed, you know, data-driven state? Faster reactions to market changes, better identification of new opportunities, significant cost savings. You know, what, what does that actually mean? What, if we do this well, what's it going to mean for the organization? What's it going to mean for them? And again, talk to people about what changes for them driving value that, you know, but also responsibility and role wise and how this isn't a threat to their jobs, right? Make that clear. If you want a somewhat visceral approach to showing people why the central data engineering team has become a bottleneck in, in, you know, large scale organization, Srinivas recommends asking how long would it take to clear your current backlog with your current team if no new tickets came in, right? How about you know, what about how big of a team would you need to actually clear your backlog based on the number of tickets coming in? Is, you know, is anyone out there or your backlog is actually decreasing? 
What could your organization be doing if you didn't have this as a bottleneck? You know, yes, you have to think about the investment aspect, but what more could you be doing? What more value could you be creating by really enabling teams to understand and leverage the organization's data? Yes, there will be a cost, but we have to invest to create value. You got to spend money to make money. There's a reason that that's a phrase. When driving data mesh buy-in, Srinivas again went back to the need for product management in general, talking with the producers about why this matters. How are you shifting their prioritization, not just adding additional work? You know, hey, you now have to own the data and all of the other stuff that you've had to do. You, you still have to do all of that plus all the data stuff. No, that's not going to work. Work with them to prioritize. You know, and then think about how, how they can actually achieve this and what are meaningful milestones and incremental value deliveries. Communicate to that, right? Prioritization and communication around prioritization are likely to lead to your easiest, happiest paths. Data mesh product management should not only focus at the micro level, you know, the data products and the platform, but also at the mesh level, according to Srinivas. To really drive value at scale, you need interoperability and things working in harmony. Product management is not just about managing the product in and of itself, but how does that fit into the entire suite of products, right? How does that fit into the landscape of your data products? Think about your data products as that overall suite of information to serve many use cases and drive a huge amount of value for the organization. For Srinivas, when looking at setting your priorities for data work, start with what are the overall organization's priorities? What are the priorities of your business partners? If you want to do data work that isn't valuable to them, or will it be valued even if it does drive the expected value, right? Like if they don't really care about it, but it still really you know, drives a lot of value, will they then value it? It, it's it's this weird kind of dichotomy that I don't think a lot of people are really focused on. You know, so look to find data work that is both valued and valuable, and that support the overall organization's priorities because that's going to get you the most kind of you know attention as to what you did, and this is what can drive more uh, budget, more data work, more focus on this, and this is especially key as you're getting going on a, a data mesh journey. Everyone on the data engineering team should understand how their data work, their work supports the company's priorities and drives value. You know, this was something Srinivas really said. And the exec team should understand how the data engineering work map, maps to value creation. Sometimes that can be harder with stuff like platform work, but it's important for everyone involved to understand how the data engineering work drives value. That helps map to prioritization decisions as well. Extended summary for episode 209, a panel. What's, what is BI's place in data mesh? Led by Amara Gafur with Elif Tutik and Ryan Dolly. So in this episode, guest host Amara 
who's a principal business analyst at ThoughtWorks and guest of episode 133, facilitated a discussion with Elif, who's the global head of product at AtScale, and Ryan, who's an independent data consultant and one of the super data bros. He was also the guest of episode 183. The focused topic area was what, what role does business intelligence, you know, BI, what does it have in data mesh? E.g., where does it sit? And who owns it? And how do we enable BI to really drive significant value in a data mesh implementation? As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. Um, and, you know, as a quick warning here, the panel summaries, the extended summaries do tend to go quite long. So just be prepared for that on this one. A few other episodes that would be good to get a broader picture here on related topics, in addition to Amara and Ryan's episodes, are episode 199 with Brent Dykes and episode 192 with Joao Sosa. Personal note here, I just on these, I want to share my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of panelists' views. I think it just doesn't make as much sense. So let's start with my top eight takeaways, and then there are 20 plus more. So number one, it's really important to actually define what business intelligence even means to your organization. If everyone doesn't have a clearly defined picture, it's one of the easiest things to have a major mismatch on expectations. Everyone thinks they know what we mean by BI, but we often mean different, sometimes vastly different things. Number two, in data mesh, it's okay to have multiple organization groups or layers of BI across the organization. Say, you know, BI teams embedded in the domains in a central BI team too. As long as responsibilities are relatively clear and teams communicate. If everyone is working on similar or overlapping goals, it's going to create BI sprawl, you know, dashboard and report sprawl with weak ownership. But if you really communicate and really kind of understand what is people's place, it's okay to have these multiple layers. Number three, BI must focus on enabling business users, not just data analysts. How do we make it so regular business users can actually drive their own analysis and then own the output? How can they share, you know, then share their insights back to others as well? When you think about, is that on the mesh? Is that not? Eh. It's, it's still something that you really have to think about in, in data mesh. Number four, it's important to focus on enabling BI capabilities over tooling. In BI, that feels especially hard because the interface to the data for most people is literally the tools themselves. So of course, tools feel like they are the most important. How we make that distinction between tools and kind of capabilities, especially to users, is hard and honestly to me seems to be determined. Number five, really consider if BI is only a consumer or more likely, it, BI is also a crucial producer to the mesh. Are data analysis outputs going to be made available in something like an analytics catalog? Whether you call that part of the mesh or not, how are people reliably sharing the insights they create and how are others discovering those? Number six, Amara brought up the complexities of how do we go from providing raw data in these fundamental data products to actually doing BI. You know, the tools are not designed to ingest from many sources, and BI professionals are typically not super technical to kind of bridge that gap. Do we create domain data marts or mesh aggregated data products? 
I like kind of the recipe angle that Mahmoud Yassin mentioned in episode 103. Data virtualization technologies also play probably a, a pretty key role here. Number seven, Elif made a good point about there's a difference between making the data analytics ready, ready and making the data business ready. How do we bridge that gap from analytics ready to business ready? How do we even define that gap so we can recognize when that exists before we can even start to address it? And finally, number eight of my top eight takeaways, design thinking and product are truly crucial to doing BI right, whether data mesh or not. For too long, all aspects of data, but especially BI, have been focused on outputs, kind of like the number of widgets produced as the key metric. It can feel like accomplishing something, even if it's not creating value, if you're creating all of these dashboards and things. We need to focus much more on how people will use what we build to drive specific value. How do we create you know, those quote unquote delightful experiences, as Jamak always says, for consumers of business intelligence, not just from our data products. So here are the other 23 <laughs> important takeaways. Many touch on similar points from the previous ones and to each other, just from some slightly different aspects as well. Number one, BI is about, quote unquote, translating the things that happen in the business into the format that's going to enable people to make informed decisions on it, as Ryan had said. It's easy to get bogged down in tools and techniques, but at the end of the day, we're trying to provide intelligence to make better decisions. That enables people to understand and take reasonable, you know, data-informed actions. Number two, Data Mesh gives us a chance to reinvent how we produce BI dashboards and reports. Instead of creating single tables in the data warehouse to support each dashboard, we can easily source reliable data without creating rigid and quickly deteriorating or abandoned data assets that are designed specifically to only support that one dashboard. Number three, balancing user experience, especially letting users use their tools of choice and reliability and scalability, kind of balancing those is very hard in BI. How do you track lineage into Excel? How do you govern data that's been put into Excel? But if you try to get everyone into Power BI, will you have user disengagement? Scott note here, you won't be able to pry Excel from my dead hands, right? It's not for reporting, but it's the best data poking tool around for small to moderate data sets in my view. Number four, we need to start to think about how our mesh data products interface with business users. At the mesh experience plane, how can they have what Jamat calls again, that delightful experience? In general, in data, we often overlook the rank and file users to focus on the highly technical users. Those are more kind of our people when we think about data people. But we miss out on a ton of business value if we do that with data mesh. So we have to not go down that path. Number five, is a centralized BI team a mesh anti-pattern? I agree with Amara and her, her colleague, Emily Gorsinski, that she mentioned. No, it's definitely not. You need someone really focused on generating and owning cross-domain use cases, or we focus on preventing data silos with data mesh for nothing. If we don't actually combine the data across the domains, what's the point of data mesh? 
Just make sure to share information with other BI teams to prevent that knowledge silos. Number six, there is a lot of focus on who sits where and exactly how things interact, which is important in some respects in data mesh, but it's more important to focus on what are we trying to actually accomplish and then who owns those accomplishments, right? Who owns driving us to those accomplishments? Clear responsibilities win. The org chart doesn't. Number seven, governance is a key enabler in BI, not just defining who does what, but creating common and easy to leverage interfaces to our data. That can't be done individually for each data product. It would be a ton of work on data producers and consumers would have an awful time having to learn a different UX for every data product. So you have to consider how far the mesh experience plane extends. Is it into BI or not? If not, how do we achieve scale if business consumers have a disjointed experience and can't easily share with each other? Number eight, mesh consumer-aligned data product owners need to consider if BI users are a target consumer. What output ports are you creating to make it easy for BI users to leverage your data product? Number nine, how do we think about the semantics and metrics layer relative to BI and data mesh? BI users want to be able to trust data without deep diving into transformations and lineage. How do we make that simple and easy? I really don't have good answers here. I don't think anybody really does quite yet. Number 10, Jamak has talked about her disdain for layers specifically for data in a data product and the large-scale data pipeline approach. She really doesn't like that kind of layering back of semantics after data has been processed. I don't believe when she's saying this, this extends the concepts of a semantics layer or a metrics layer that your data products can plug into. You know, you just have to make sure it's not rigid. It doesn't become this, um, you know, centralized bottleneck because it's this big pain in the butt kind of thing. It's another aspect powering data discoverability, right? If you've got this semantics and this uh, metadata layer or this metrics layer. It's kind of a complicated analogy for how this might work, and I'm working on the wording though, right? It's still difficult to really explain exactly how this plays in data mesh. Number 11, governance has to be focused on enabling BI usage of data more than restricting it. Of course, controlling who has access and what people can do with data is crucial, but with mesh, if we are so focused on producing great quality data across the organization, We have to think about how we can enable usage at scale. That's table stakes for doing data mesh. Number 12, we need to create good and low friction ways for people to go from generating an insight to sharing that insight. It's often that insights get locked in at that BI layer. How do we share those insights back to others on the mesh to leverage? Can we easily push insights into the mesh to create a new data product? This is a cultural and a technology issue that needs to be addressed and discussed. Number 13, in BI, there's often too much of a bias towards give me the complete picture and I'll go from there. You know, kind of, I don't know what I want until I see it. And that often leads to complicated and non-effective customer 360 approaches. You know, just sourcing a bunch of data without a specific business objective. Humans are curious creatures. Do we need to focus on what information are you trying to understand and why first rather than produce all of this data and I might have an interesting insight? I think yes. So again, what I'm trying to say there is 
we kind of have to say, what would we actually do with this information if we got it? And if the answer is, eh, then you're not going to drive action from it. So why do the work? Number 14, one thing that feels like it is often missing from a BI strategy is bringing the business knowledge to the data instead of bringing the data to business users. How to actually go about bringing the business knowledge to the data, I honestly have no idea. Maybe this is the consumer-driven data modeling and feedback involved in data product creation, but it feels a lot deeper than that. It's a concept that is brewing in my mind. Number 15, do we want to have some org-wide defined metrics? Taxonomies and ontologies can easily become overly rigid, but having optional adherence can make things much easier when you think about standardized metrics and meanings. It's all a balance, and it feels like you should be constantly assessing it because it can easily go the route of too many metrics and your mesh becomes littered with metrics that all mean slightly different things, right? But you really want to figure out, is this is this for you or how do you implement something like this? Number 16, BI people are likely to be skeptical of data mesh. Trying to get access to tons of systems and cross-correlate and consume data from multiple sources has historically been a major pain, right? It's probably been an insane pain. Be ready for pushback, even if this is a better solution in the long run from the BI people, and often likely even in the short run. Show them how BI and data mesh can be better, that their focus is on value instead of having to do all this plumbing work. Number 17, we need to get BI people on board with data mesh and what it offers and how it will be better for them in the long run. BI people are often the data gateways to execs. If the BI people aren't on board, are your executives going to see the benefit of doing data mesh? Not just buy-in wise, but are they literally going to see an improvement in their business operations from data work if the BI people aren't leveraging the data work from the data mesh? Number 18, in general, we need to get better at translating the business need into the BI need than into the data need right? Kind of working backwards from that business need. Data work is often not as valuable as expected, partly because it gets divorced from what people actually care about that business need. This is far easier said than done, of course, but think about user experience more relative to the entire data consumption and analysis BI process. Number 19, churning out reports and dashboards is not a good end consumer user experience. What do business users get out of it to drive their business? We need to tie more BI work directly to what would drive change. What would drive action if we found out new information about it? We can start by just looking at who is using reports and dashboards before getting any more complicated. Number 20, product thinking in BI isn't just about the consumer experience. We need consumers to be part of the conversation and giving more feedback on usage and importance of the BI work. Instead of just having information push, pushed at them, it needs to be a collaborative push-pull. Number 21, Amara asked about the data mesh and BI teams, you know, quote unquote, how does data mesh not add to the complexity? How do we not add more strain to the team? How do we not add more to the cognitive load? So like, how do we make BI feasible in data mesh? It's not as obvious of an answer as it feels initially, 
We want to get more value leverage, not more work from the team. Number 22, data virtualization might be a key aspect of doing BI well. I really, I'm not sure on this, but it, it might be. Uh, Radha Rishani, which was episode 206, raved about what data virtualization has allowed them to do as well because it's crucial to easily be able to ingest data you're supposed to have access to. And many tools aren't designed to take data from lots of sources. I have lots of places where I'm seeing data virtualization misused, but this one does seem safe. And finally, number 23, some people are better served by feeding them reports and dashboards than giving them advanced self-serve analytics capabilities. Do we need to level those people up? Do we want to move past kind of first wave type practices of you know first wave of analytics? I honestly don't know. Some people like to cling to ways of the past, but it might be serving them well. If it's scalable and re reliable, do we really need to push to modernize certain aspects? Probably, I don't know, a bigger BI question than just data mesh related. So I think this is a really good panel and I think you'll have a lot of fun listening to it.